Well, take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans. Are we in Romans? Yeah, we're in Romans. Y'all don't even remember where we are. The book of Romans and chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Many good things in this chapter. And we will not be able to get all the, you know, the ingredients out of it. But we'll hit a little bit here and hit a little bit there. Sometimes you'll hear people say that are, you know, ultra dispensationalists, that the church was started, you know, by Paul. And so Paul started the church, and therefore uh, he wasn't given the command to, you know, to baptize people, so therefore you don't have to baptize. And that uh, the church was started by Paul, so, but you got a problem. See, the day when Paul got saved, he was already persecuting the church. It was already started before Paul ever got here. So that is not, I don't think, accurate theology. But he also teaches a lot from the Old Testament scriptures. Now, many people believe that the church should only study those New Testament books that deal just with the church and the other things, the Gospels and so forth. Well, it doesn't really apply to the church. But I believe that all the knowledge in the Word of God is for us. Not might not be exactly to us, but it's for us. And that's why he says here in uh, verse 4 of chapter 15, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. That tells me that all Scripture is for us and that we can learn from it. So I don't see anything wrong in teaching everything that's in the Bible. And so therefore, we try to teach a little bit of everything that's in the Scriptures. And he makes this statement, written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now, comfort and patience. Now, you see in verse 5 where it says, now that God of patience. So when you study the Old Testament, you will learn how patient God was with his children. And when you talk about comfort, there's many scriptures that are given about bringing forth comfort. Read the Psalms and you'll see that. And then he also makes a statement and down in verse 13. Now, the God of hope. And so it's to build our confidence in the Lord where we will trust him for that which is yet in the future. So we'll learn to serve the Lord now, believing that it's best, it's wise, because we've learned so much from the Old Testament. And then he makes a statement there in verse 33, Now the God of peace be with you all. So when it says the God of comfort, the God of peace, the God of mercy, the God of... It means that that's what God wants you to demonstrate. You see, these characteristics of God are supposed to be the characteristics in His children. And so that's why you'll find as you read this, he's talking about things that Christ did for us, we're supposed to do for somebody else. And so we read the scriptures, study them, and you'll come to that conclusion. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But what I want you to see here, look in verse 7. Wherefore receive ye one another, and then notice the last part of the scripture, as Christ also did what? Received us. To the glory of God. Now, does it make God receive glory when you receive other children of God like God received you? Do you show grace to God's children? Do you show mercy to God's children? Or are you the God's avenging angel? Or do you show, you know, and demonstrate love and respect? You should want the best for everybody. You should want the best for yourself. You should want the best for your mate. The best for your children. The best. 
You should always want the best for everybody. It's selfish to only want to know the things for yourself so you can act with intellectual pride, you know, because they don't know what I know. Teach people what you know. You see, the reasons for you serving the Lord might be good enough reasons for somebody else to serve the Lord. So you ought to figure out, why do you want to serve the Lord? Well, whatever the reasons they are, they might be good enough for somebody else. They just haven't thought about it. But because you took the time to sit down and think it through, a lot of times I'll sit down with a piece of paper and a cup of coffee, sometimes a gallon of coffee, and I'll start writing little things. Just think, just think. Stop everything. Get away from everything. And just, just write. Little thoughts as they come into your head. I do that all the time. And some things make sense, some things don't make sense. That goes across. This is good. Oh, this is good. You won't believe this. The other day, I had sat for hours thinking up all these great sayings. And I pulled in the wisest men that I have in the ministry. And they came out out of about 50 of these jewels that I had. They liked two of them. Back to the drawing board. But not everybody likes the same ones for the same purpose. Because some, well, they're for this sermon. Well, that's for this here one, that one. But for missionaries, there's a couple good ones. So sometimes it, you've got to go through a lot of stuff. Just like if you want to get a couple people to serve the Lord, you're going to have to win a thousand to get just a hundred to go to camp. And maybe ten of them will dedicate their lives to the Lord, and one of them might make it. You have no clue. You just do what you can with what you have where you are. But now look at verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, or the Jews, for the truth of God and the reason to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. See, there were many promises made in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. So when Christ came, he confirmed all those Old Testament prophecies. He fulfilled them. So this is what he did. But he also, in the very next verse, says he showed mercy to the Gentiles. See there? And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Now, even though that was written about 700 years before Christ ever came, and even though it's found in the book of Isaiah, but it's also mentioned again when you get down there to verse 12, where he says, again Isaiah said. So he goes to Isaiah twice. Now, you might think, well, there's no real reason for you know, just pull a verse here and I'll pull a verse there. What's the purpose in it? Well, it's, it's very simple when you get right down to it. You see, the Lord puts his stamp of approval upon the Old Testament. So when you look there in the, uh, verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. You know, that's found in the book of Psalms. But when you read in verse 10, and again, he said, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. That's found in the Pentateuch. And then when you read down there in uh, verse 12, Isaiah said, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Well, this is the prophet. So you got the, the prophet, the law, the psalm. You got, you got the recommendation for all study the scriptures. That's what he's referring to up there in verse 4. So it's not like you study these at the expense of these. No, study all the word of God. You'll learn something from everywhere in the scriptures. And then he says in verse 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. 
So the reason you study and learn all of these things is because you have a chance to see how God has dealt with his people over all those years, and you'll learn a little bit about the character of God, what God does, what God promises, how he can chasten, he can discipline, he can bring all these things, and God can work. And people who listen, the testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple, believing what God says. And as you read those testimonies in the Old Testament where different saints have said different things and what God said and those who obeyed and those who disobeyed, you can learn a lot of wisdom from them. If you don't, you're going to have to learn those lessons on your own. But if you'll learn from them, then you can apply it to your life and you'll save a lot of time. You'll grow faster and accomplish more and you won't make as many mistakes as what they've made because you know that it's not very wise to go against God. God resisteth the proud, so yield to the Lord and do what God wants you to do. And that you may bound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in chapter 7 of the book of Romans, you don't have all of this. Chapter 7 is just conflict, conflict between the old nature and the new nature. You just got a lot of conflict. So how do you solve this problem? Well, this is what he's telling you. You see, when you study the scriptures and you get this confidence of what God's going to do, did you know there's power in confidence? There's power in love. There's power in truth. And the Holy Spirit teaches you the truth of the Word of God. And because you learn truth, you have power to do what you're supposed to do. That's what gives you the hope for down the road. You're going to serve the Lord now, believing it's going to work out the way God says to, and you can trust Him. You can wait. You can be patient. The God of patience. And that's why you study the God of patience. You study the God of hope. And you study the God of peace because you want the peace of God in your heart. Nobody can give that to you. That comes from the Lord. Now look up here in verse 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Now here's Paul. See, he's writing to these believers there at Rome. He says, I believe that you're competent to counsel. You're able to admonish one another, to challenge one another, to correct one another, to keep an eye on each other, to help each other, to pray for one another. All those things are good. And I don't know if there's a, a verse here that kind of seems like, you know, things that are acceptable to God and getting the Gentiles acceptable. Uh, just jump down there just quickly, look in verse 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, be, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now we know in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, and in verse 6, it makes the statement that you are accepted in the Beloved. Now we know that whenever we trust Christ as Savior, we are accepted in the Beloved. Also makes a statement in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 when he's talking about that we are accepted in him. Now, when that is true because of what Christ has done for us. But whether or not there's a little bit more here, I'm not sure. Take your Bible and just look very quickly here. Uh, see, there's a, a verse here that makes this statement. And in Numbers chapter 8, look at this. Numbers chapter 8. could read from verse 1, but it's uh, a little bit too much, so we'll kind of cut it down. Numbers chapter 8. But in verse 5 down through verse 11, it's talking about how that the, the high priest and these that were going to do the office of the tabernacle, 
how they were supposed to be. They had to really get clean. So he says in the verse 5, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them. And he goes through about all the, the water and the purifying and, and getting them. They had to get clean. They had to shave themselves. <laughs> I don't want to get into too much detail. But they had to do all of these things. And down in verse 11, And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord for an offering of the children of Israel, that they may execute the service of the Lord. Now, this was acceptable by God. This is what God said. This is what I want them to do. Now, when we get to the place in the New Testament where the Bible says we're like priests of God, and so God wants us as vessels to be clean so that we can be instruments that God can use to bring up and offer to the Lord the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice that belongs to the Lord and bringing Him honor and glory and so forth. And he says to bring glory to the Lord is loving one another. You might not think that's a big deal. Well, Adam and Eve didn't think taking that fruit was a big deal either. But honoring the Lord is a big deal. And so you obey what the Lord says. And so Paul talks about, you know, whether or not with the Gentiles and their obedience. You see there in verse 18, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me. And get this statement, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. He didn't want to step outside the boundaries of that which was scriptural in order to challenge and to motivate people to do what they should. This is why he also states in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 2 that the words that I speak, even though I was among you in fear and trembling, my words were not enticing and so on. That the power of God may be of God and not of me. Because he wanted God to get the credit and God to get the glory. So it wasn't in his great speaking ability, but it was because of what God did. And when we want people to serve the Lord, it should not be giving them false reasons, make up things, but telling them the truth. If you can't get a person to serve the Lord by truth, you're not going to get a person to serve the Lord. You're going to serve the Lord because you know the truth and you believe it. But trying to manipulate people, and some preachers scare people to death by, well, if you're really saved, you're going to want to volunteer for this dirty job. And if you don't volunteer, that's probably a sign you're not saved. So they can scare people. And the Bible talks about it in Corinthians in chapter 4. He says, we do not mishandle the Word of God. To mean to misuse it, to misapply it. Now, you can apply a lot of Scripture, but not to misapply it is not a very wise thing to do. Look in verse 19. Even though Paul was able to be used greatly of the Lord, and yes, he had the power to do a lot of miracles and so forth, but he wanted their faith to stand in what God said, not in Paul. Not what he said and did, but what the Lord says. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, there's a few statements that are made down through here. And I want you to look at this because it is so important. The Apostle Paul isn't like, like us today. Uh, he wanted to go somewhere where the gospel hasn't gone. He wanted to preach to people that have never heard the gospel. He said, I don't want to build on another man's foundation. In other words, there's some churches, all they do is just rob each other's you know, fish from their goldfish bowl. 
And, uh, and if a big mega church is good, it's not because they reached a whole lot of lost people. They just sucked out some of those people that go to other churches and closed their doors, and now they're a big mega church. But they didn't reach them. They were already being reached by them. They just got more bigger entertainment and things like that. And so if you go, you can get lost in it, and if you don't show up, that's okay. You don't give, that's okay. It, but it destroys. It doesn't mean it's of God. It's just that's what happens. And some people... You take most Calvinists. Most Calvinists cannot build a church on the people they win. And the reason because, you may got a clue? They don't win them. They got to steal them. They got to bring upon them, let, let me teach you the deeper things of God. Oh, yes. I mean, Yankee, he's, you know, he's clear on the gospel, but he doesn't know anything else. So, they're going to finish raising all these kids that these evangelists have. And if it wasn't for somebody winning people to Christ, they wouldn't have anybody to talk to at all. But anyway, I'm not getting sidetracked tonight. Stand right here. But look what he says here. I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. In verse 20, yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. These apostles, they went out to go to different places. You know, whenever we left Florida Bible College years ago, of course, we used to sit there in class, and we couldn't wait. Like a, a, a final bell, and like the race is on, whoom, we scattered. And the alumni, well, we went everywhere. And here's Lee, he goes to San Antonio. Wally, he goes down there to far Texas, and Yankee goes up there to Colorado, and you know, you got Mel's that came over here, Hank came here, and different ones went to Atlanta, and they went to Pennsylvania, and different ones scattered because we wanted to build a work, not on somebody else's. We want to do our own thing. So we, it, it, we hit mainly big towns, big cities. Why? Because in a big old fishing hole, there's more fish. So we wanted to catch as many fish. You want more people. And so that's what we did. But we didn't know we were following anything. We just did it. And... Uh, I think the Lord had something to do with all of all of that. I really do. But not to go and build upon another man's foundation, but to be able to say, I now get some people and lead them to the Lord and then watch them grow. And today, it's, it's wonderful if you have some people who can work with you and help you and to get things started. There's nothing wrong with that. We're not the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul also had the ability to perform miracles. Now, if I had that, that might be an extra incentive. You know, I could maybe do a little bit more. But when you have the gospel in a northern vessel, that the power may be of God and not of us. That's what pleases the Lord. Now, look at verse 21. But as it is written. So you can't say the apostle Paul taught the church, but he only taught them new things that dealt with the dispensation of grace. No, he was teaching them things out of the Old Testament. You read how many times Paul refers to Old Testament Scripture. And so he says here in verse 21, To whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Paul said, I want to see people that have never heard before. I want to talk to lost people. Don't you just get a kick out of talking to people that have never heard before? And I said, I said to one person, I said, isn't it true you've heard all your life that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for all the sin of the world? He said, what? No, everybody hasn't heard. A lot of people have. 
that a lot of people have. If somebody had asked me that question when I was 18 years old, I couldn't have said that. I didn't know that. I didn't understand. Living right here in good old Christian America. Well, you know everybody in America is a Christian. I mean, we're not Chinese, are we? We must be Christian. Well, he makes a statement here in verse 22. For which cause also I have been, and you ought to underline these two words, much hindered. Now, you and I think, well, if, if we are who we're supposed to be and we want to serve the Lord, we shouldn't be hindered. Like nothing should stand in our way. God's going to open up the doors wide. And he opens up the door wide, and there stands a gorilla. And you're going to have adversaries. You see, there's people in this world that are not going to let you alone. Satan has his little demons, and they're working. You're going to have problems, and you're going to be hindered at times. So he says, For which cause also I have much, been much hindered from coming to you. Now, he wants to go to Rome. Does he ever get to Rome? Oh, he gets to Rome. But I'm not sure he ever got to Spain. Now, he may have, but I'm not sure, unless he came back to Rome and got his head cut off then. But he says here in verse 24, he, well, in verse 23, but now having no more place in these parts. In other words, he didn't cover it. He didn't cover it everywhere he was. He didn't cover it. You read the 20th chapter of Acts, and he went everywhere, and he preached the gospel. And even the book of Colossians, the very first chapter, he, you know, the known world, wherever he was, they heard. They saturated the place. He also started a Bible college and had about uh, three years of it. But anyway, look at this. In verse 24, he says, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on our way or my way. Did the word by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. Now, when he comes to Rome, what was he saying in this verse? What was he actually saying? When I come to you in Rome, I'm expecting you to send me there. What do you think he means? All right, we'll go a little bit further. Maybe you'll get it. In verse 25, but now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For he hath pleased them, it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them, verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Means things for the body, needs for the body. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. Do you have any idea what he might be talking about yet? Supporting. Who said that? It would be Al. He, he got it. Al would get this. All of you probably got it but didn't want to say something because you're afraid you might be wrong. And you didn't want to be considered wrong on Internet. But now notice what he says. Back there in... Uh, Verse 24, when he says, I trust to see you in my journey and be brought on my way, did the word, by you. He's expecting those that are there to help send him on his way. He expects them to do that. 
You see, giving for missions work is a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. It's what God wants us to do. And then when he makes a statement there in verse 27, it hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles had been made partakers of their spiritual things, you came to know the Lord because of these spiritual truths. Somebody came to you, preached the gospel to you. Their duty also to minister unto them in carnal things. In other words, to meet their financial obligations, to help them meet their needs and so on. And that's why in verse 28, get it? When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit. This fruit refers to this offering, this gift, this, these donations, this money. He says, I will come by you into Spain. And then he says in verse 29, For, And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that, and you ought to underline this, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Did Paul want people to pray for him? You see, his whole life was a dangerous life. I mean, it was filled with adventure, no doubt. More exciting than Indiana Jones. I mean, this was for real. He says, pray for me, that I'll open my mouth boldly, as I ought to. And he was willing to go here, willing to go there. He said, I didn't cover this place. I want to go someplace else. I want to go and, you know, reach people that have never heard before. That's uh, a drive, a motivation. So, now, see, not everybody has within them that drive, that motivation. But if it wasn't for those churches like in Macedonia and Achaia and the church there at Rome, then there's a lot of things that would have never got done because see, they're the one who helped support Paul and helped get this done. Uh, take your Bible and look in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13 real quick. Notice there in book of Acts in chapter 13. This is the Paul and Barnabas getting ready to go out into the missionary work. But notice, it wasn't Paul that established the church. It was the church that established Paul and sent him. In verse 1, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, and Barnabas and Simeon, or Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaum, and which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, and they ministered to the Lord. And fasted. The Holy Ghost said, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And verse 3, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is because the church there called them, sent them. Called them, sent them and obedience to the Holy Spirit. So that's just what God wanted to have done. And God had already told Paul in the book of Acts in chapter 9, for I must show him how and what great things he's going to suffer for my name's sake. And he's going to bear a testimony to the kings and so forth. And uh, that he did, but he suffered and suffered greatly. Now, in spite of everything that Paul had gone through, the prison, look what he says here in chapter 15. He says in verse 31, 
that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. See, you never know how things are going to turn out. Paul didn't always know. Now, God had already promised him he was going to Rome. Is it he could have maybe gone a different way? <laughs> I don't know. And they told him, look, you, you go to Jerusalem, you're going to have troubles. And, uh, but he did. And there were some people that took vows, about 40 of them, says that they will, they're going to kill him. I wonder if they're still looking for him. But notice what he says in verse 32. That I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. See, everybody needs to be refreshed. There's a sermon that I preached years and years ago in the book of Psalms where it talks about Aaron's beard and the oil that went off. Fresh oil. Fresh oil. It's like every once in a while you, you, you're going down the road, but it's like you kind of run out of energy. Even sometimes you run out of a vision, and it seems like you're just at a dead end, and nothing's exciting, nothing's going on, and it's like a, a, a downtime, and it's dull and boring. Nothing's happening. And sometimes you just can't make some things happen. And you think, man, I need some fresh oil. I need a, a, you know, a, either a kick in the pants or something to be recharged. And then sometimes God will let you hear something on the radio. Song. I was listening the other day, and I hardly ever listen to music. I don't even listen to the radio. But Betty likes this one station, so I turned it on her, and this guy was singing this song. I don't remember what song it was. But it got to where I couldn't even hardly see the red lights. You know, you get tears in your eyes, and you can't even see. You're talking about it affect your vision? Oh, it affected my vision, all right. But sometimes it's just, it's just wonderful. Uh, the other day, uh, I was doing something. I get out here, and I walk around sometime. And I walked around that building, and I got over there, and I got to the back side of our building. And I got to thinking about, you know, how this used to look. And I'd go down the hallway, and I'd look at the old drawings and so forth. And I'd look there, and I'd see the gymnasium, you know, over the fence. And uh, I get to thinking, look what God has given to us. Look what God has given to us. Man, we've got to use this place. There's so much that needs to be done. We've got to pack this place. We've got to do more and more and more. Now, should I think like that or think, you know, well, I'm ready to retire now, and I guess I ought to hang it up. And uh, every once in a while I get the thing, like Yankee, Betty says, you're not old. You're not old. I have to look in the mirror. You're not old. You're not old. You are not old. <laughs> sometimes I feel like I'm 95. <laughs> and then sometimes I feel like a teenager again. But, man, isn't it amazing how you can fluctuate so much? But, you know, the last thing in this whole thing he talks about in verse 33, and the God of peace, the God of peace, be with you all. The God of peace. See, whatever God is, that's where you can get what you're looking for. You need a little hope, a little vision, a little dream. God's the God of that, too. You need some comfort. He's the God of comfort. He got everything that you need. The God of peace, he got all that you need. You see, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, there was peace made between you and God. And see, that's the peace that gets you into heaven because you're not, there's no enmity between you and him. There's no sin that separates you from the peace of God. But you see, whenever you have that trust in the Lord for your salvation, that, well, that's what brings peace between you and him. And that gets the soul to heaven. But learning how to walk with the Lord and trust the Lord, that, well, that brings peace to the soul. So a lot of people are going to heaven, but they don't have peace in their soul. So learn to walk with the Lord, trust the Lord, and just keep getting up. And even though you may have a lot of down times, realize we serve a living God. He knows everything. 
and feel like you got a few problems, a few little hindrances. Paul says, I desire to come to you, but I've been hindered. He mentions that also again in another scripture, but I'm going to turn there right now. But you can be hindered, hindered. So there's things in life that you want to do, and that you, you'll be hindered. You can't always get what you want when you want it. But that's what teaches you the patience. Wait upon the Lord. It'll come. Look up here. This hand represents you and me, and the wall represents sin. We all have sin upon us. God loves us. Wasn't it wonderful this morning? As soon as I gave the invitation, three hands went up. I mean, there was no waiting, no hesitation. There was a couple over here and somebody somewhere else, but I think it's just so neat. And there could have been somebody trust the Lord on the Internet, but I'm not sure. But God loves us, but he hates what we do wrong. And for us to pay for the sin is eternal separation from God in a literal fire-burning hell. But God loves us and wants us to go to heaven. To go to heaven, we have to be perfect and righteous as God, and none of us are perfect. You see, we have this problem. It's called sin. And we don't have peace between us and God. So what Christ did is he had no sin. So he came into the world because he loves us. He took this upon himself, all of our sins. And now there was this between him and the Father. And the Father turned his back. Why hast thou forsaken me? And all of his wrath came upon his son. And therefore he came back again from the dead and said, if you and I, if we would believe he did it for us, he would put the payment to our account and we go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. That's the best news in all the world. That is the gospel. This is what Paul is talking about. You know, if you study the book of Acts, you study the book of Romans, you don't seem like it's always about the gospel. I didn't, put, I didn't interject the word gospel in all these places. He did. It's already there. But when you teach it, you can't get away from it. Now, you'd have to do an awful lot. If you went through the Bible and everywhere you saw the word gospel, just cut it out of the Bible. <laughs> or every story it's about evangelism and reaching somebody, else, cut them all out of the Bible. Now, you may have a couple pages left, but this is what it's all about. Let's pray, shall we? With head bowed, nice clothes, and no one looking around. I know that most of you here have already trusted Christ as Savior. But I never know when someone may come and have never understood or if they're watching by internet, I want you to know that the Lord loves you. That he sent his son to die for you, to pay for your sins. The only thing he wanted you to do would believe that he did it for you. And for you to trust him as your savior. If you trust him, he gives you eternal life and you get to go to heaven on what Christ did for you. You cannot earn it. You can't work for it. You don't go to heaven because you promised God you're going to stop something or start doing something. Just be honest. Lord, I'm a sinner. And the Lord loves you, friend. Would you trust him? With heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Is there anyone at all who say, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. And preach, I'd like you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you forward. But right where you're sitting. Anyone at all. Our Father, we do thank you so much for all you've done for us. For giving us a free gift of everlasting life then challenging us to love each other as we should, to serve you, to realize all Scripture is for us, to read it. It can bring such great comfort and peace and hope, all that we need for this life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.